0: Now I I tried figuring out what I was going to preach on, but I think the um, holiday almost handcuffed in, handcuffed me into my uh, subject matter. But I truly do believe that if you'll pay attention tonight for the brief moments that we have, you could learn something or it will help you in some way. So Matthew chapter two to, two tonight. I want to talk to you about probably something that you've heard many sermons over before, and that's why. I don't feel the need to preach a long time. See, we're all quite familiar with the Christmas story, aren't we? We know it. But with familiarity breeds contentment. And we get so used to hearing it, very similar to to the gospel. We get so used to hearing the good news that after a while it almost seems to be average news. What a shame that is because God in His amazing wisdom and in His love and compassion and I don't quite understand all the theology behind it because I don't believe it's even for us to understand, but God separated himself from himself and sent his son, and his son chose to come because of us. And I was trying to explain to the teenagers this morning, if you've ever seen a newborn baby, one of the most amazing things is just how small they are and how almost helpless they are. And to think that God could have ever been wrapped into the flesh of some small infant body is just beyond me. And even while He was in that infant body, He was still God and could do anything. Try wrapping your mind around that. I don't understand it all, but I know that it happened for my salvation. I'm thankful that God in His sovereignty sent His Son for me, that everything the Old Testament had to say came true. So Matthew chapter 2 tonight, we won't be long, I want to read 12 verses, and I I want to give you maybe a little bit different angle of the Christmas story, maybe it's the same, maybe I'm not any different than any other preacher you've ever heard before, but verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 2 says this, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. Well, see, that's what God in a baby's flesh does to kings here on earth. Even as a baby, God was still more powerful. That's proof that he was king of kings even as a baby. But Herod, nonetheless, is troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, that art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now look at this. He is so cunning in verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. I want to talk to you about this thought tonight. I want to try avoiding the problems that the first Christmas had, because it had plenty of problems. I think sometimes they've carried over into each and every Christmas that we've ever been a part of, though. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless the sermon tonight. Father, I pray tonight that you'd please bless the message, not because of me, but because of this book, because your son deserves all the glory and honor that he can have, and Lord, I'm just trying to do that tonight. I'm trying to preach the word truthfully and honestly, not trying to manipulate it in any way, but I'm trying to present it in a way that people could clearly understand and that your spirit could begin to work in lives as a result of it. Father, I pray that the preaching of the cross and your son Jesus would be powerful tonight. I'm praying that everyone in here would decide now to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Father, please give us your spirit tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For some reason, I just don't think the Christmases we have are what Christmases should be like. I mean, we have a lot of nice things. In fact, I am utterly amazed and almost uh, just almost stunned at how much we have on Christmas. I went to a Christmas last night, just one, and I, I, I watched a tree not be big enough to have presents underneath it. But we, that, that's no longer the truth in our houses, is it? Presents don't just go under the tree. They circumnavigate the tree. They almost tower over the tree. We went to pick up one of Ben's presents last night, and my left arm fell off because I thought it would be much lighter than it was. You see, we're not hurting for things here in America. And by no means tonight am I trying to say that we should not give gifts or that gifts are not good because I'm thankful God's placed us in this land and the uh, the blessings that he's given me that I can give my wife something nice and I can give my daughter something nice. God has blessed us tremendously, and I'm not here tonight to make you feel guilty for gift-giving or receiving. But I just think we have some problems in our Christmases. Some of these problems are the fact that people who enjoy the vacation days that Christmas break has to offer, but refuse to call it Christmas break. Instead, they want to refer to it as a holiday break, as if New Year's Day is something we all take that big of a deal for. I don't know about you, but the last time I stayed up till midnight on New, York, New Year's Day was like when I was 17. Now it's just kind of old and outdated, and I don't care to watch fireworks on TV or go out, so I just get some sleep. You know what I mean? I'm tired from doing all the work and unwrapping at Christmas. But just the fact that people refuse to call it Christmas just almost burns my water. The fact that a nativity scene cannot be placed anywhere. And it's not the government's place to have nativity scenes. The government, uh, that's the reason we came to this land was religious liberty. I want to point that out to you. But I am still offended that my nativity scene cannot go anywhere I want it to go. I'm offended at the fact that uh, uh, people would choose to try removing Christ's name from anything in this season. And one of the things I'm most offended about is how one fat, jolly man took the place of my beautiful Savior. I'm offended. But you know what? I'm not offended at the world. I'm not mad at them. Why should I expect them to reserve a place for a God they know nothing about? I'm mad at me. Because sometimes Christ isn't the forefront. Sometimes it's the travel plans. Sometimes it is the shopping. And I believe if we were all honest with one another, we would say and even have to admit that sometimes the little baby Jesus isn't the prominent thing on Christmas. I'm not mad at the world. I'm mad at me. See, there were some problems with the very first Christmas. I want to point out to you a few of them this evening. First of all, the first problem was a forgotten birth. Look in verse number 1 of chapter 2. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse 3. Almost in disbelief Herod has a reaction. When Herod heard the king or when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. So it wasn't just Herod that was surprised, it was everyone. You see, if you know your Bible and if you've ever studied the Christmas story, Christ had already been born. Christ is not at the manger at this point. Christ has been born. The wise men are showing up weeks, months, even maybe a year later, trying to see this new Savior. And they show up and they say, Hey, where is this Jesus, this King who was born of the Jews? And they all look around at one another and say, did you hear about some king? Did you hear about a new king come to town? Ta- I haven't seen any kings. Herod, did anybody come eat with you? No, I'm not. Let me kind of give you an example of what this would have been like. This would be like you going to work one day, and you go and you're you're making your normal route to work. You open the door. You you get out. You know, you get out of your car. You walk on in. You you go into work and. And you walk through the reception area, and there at the reception area, you see someone dressed really nice, waiting with a briefcase by their side. And you go on in, and you're kind of wondering who that person is and why they look so nice. And you go in, and you begin to ask people, Hey, who's that guy waiting uh, Waiting in the waiting area with such nice attire? Who is that? And they kind of begin to look down and try avoiding eye contact with you. You say, No, just tell me. Who is it? And they say, well, that's the new VP of Promotions. And you say, wait a minute, I'm the VP of Promotions. That would be like somebody coming, in fact, this is what it'd be like. Next Sunday night, I'm not going to be here, so it would be like me tuning into the live stream service, having somebody I've never seen up here in a suit with a King James Bible preaching the Word of God, and I say, hey... Who is that guy, man? He could sure preach. He's a sharp-looking guy. I call Dad after service. I say, Dad, who was that? I've never seen that guy before. Dad says, well, we've been looking for a new uh, assistant pastor and co-pastor for some time. Really? That's news to me. And I say, I'm getting a promotion. Janitor, (laughs) yeah! You see, that would be what it would be like. Someone showing up on our doorstep right in our front yard and saying, hey, I'm going to take over. And that's the reaction Herod and just about every Jew had was, I can't believe that somebody would come and we would not even know about it. I don't understand how they couldn't know, though. You see, I've I've studied Herod a little bit, and Herod was of Arab descent, so he was not Jewish, but... Most people believe, and the encyclopedia says and claims that Herod was a practicing Jew. Now, if he was, maybe it was just for mm, outward show because of his political office. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible says today that not only Herod was surprised, but all that were in Judea were surprised. And they're Jewish. If anybody should have known about the birth of their king and of the Messiah and of the governor... They should have known, but they didn't. A forgotten birth. You know what's a shame is people have to come from a long way away who don't even believe in this God to tell them that something happened. You see, these wise men were wise because they were looking for Christ. They were magi. They were priests of a completely different religion. In fact, it was a religion that based a lot of their theology off of cosmic things. And so when they saw a new star, it was a pretty big deal to them because that's part of their religion. And so as they come to Judea and they come to Herod and they say, Where is this new king? For we have seen his star. It's a shame that someone who knew nothing about this king was the one that had to inform them. You know, it's a shame is when Christmas songs have to tell us about our God. It's a shame when we get more Jesus in our radio at Christmas time than we do other times of the year. I'm just afraid that sometimes the world almost is more spiritual than we are. Because these men weren't God followers. They weren't Christians by any means. And yet they show up and they say, hey, did y'all hear about this birth? No. I don't know what you're going to do, but can I challenge you this Christmas, if you're a father of a home, can I challenge you to please take it upon yourself to recall to your wife and to your children's mind the fact that Christmas is about Christ? And it's not presentness, and it's not Santamus. It's Christmas. It's about a Savior who came. And I don't know how you're going to do it. Maybe it's by flipping on Dora the Explorer and a, a Christian episode, I don't know, Tales. whatever you're going to do, I don't know, but can you please make sure that your home knows Christmas is about Christ? Forgotten birth, I'm afraid sometimes we as Christians have forgotten the birth of Christ. We place other things over prior, uh, in priority over it. We, we don't actually make it that big a deal, and because of it, neither does the world. Not only a forgotten birth, secondly, I want you to notice a forged lie. Look in verse 7. The Bible says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. See, he didn't even know there was a new star. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again. Well, why do you want to know that, Herod? that I may come and worship him also. I don't know about you, but I I can kind of tell when someone's lying to me. Like when my wife says, Honey, you look good today. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. Uh, I can tell when someone's lying to me. And right here when I read Herod lie, I can tell. But if you couldn't just tell by his words, go ahead and look down at verse 16 with me. Verse 16, when... Herod finds out that he's been duped by the wise men. The Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Herod may have crafted a pretty nice little story. Oh, yeah, come back and tell me so that way I can go, go worship him with you. I'll bring another gift. What would you bring, gold? Yeah, I didn't want to bring that one. We don't want a double gift, you know. And he may have crafted a good story, but at the end of the day, when you study him as a man, you understand he was not trying to worship Jesus. He was trying to eliminate Jesus. He was trying to take him out. He was a threat to his throne, and so Herod wanted to take him out. If you study history, historians tell us that King Herod, or Herod the Great, which is what he liked to be referred to, was a cruel and power-hungry ruler who destroyed anyone he feared was trying to topple him from off his throne. He even killed several members of his own family because he thought they were plotting against him. He killed both of his sons and his brother-in-law out of jealousy, He even ordered his own beloved wife, Miriam, murdered in a fit of jealous rage. Strange man, power-hungry man, egotistical man, but he was trying to take the life of Christ. He hated the fact that Christ would be a threat to his throne, and so he was doing anything he could. He was going to lie, steal, or kill to make sure Christ did not rise to power. History teaches us that about Herod, but if history has taught us anything about this world is they hate Christ. And even around a Christmas season that really is almost impossible to completely eliminate Christ out of, for the very holiday bears his own name, it's almost like they they say, oh, it's okay for you to believe what you believe on this day, but if history has taught us anything, it ought to be that they don't like Christ. They never have liked Christ, and they will never will like Christ. Around Thanksgiving, my wife begins to get a bug—not a sick bug, but it's an annoying bug. It's a bug where she turns on her radio to Christmas music, and this year it was about a week earlier than Thanksgiving. I'm like, it is like 95 degrees outside, and I'm listening to "I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas." It's going to be a sauna on Christmas if things don't get right. And she's all out there. She loves that Christmas music. And one day I got into her car, and she usually doesn't tell me because she knows I'm not a huge, big fan of Christmas music. So she, I get in her car with her, and, and the radio comes on, and it's some Christmas song. And I look over at her, and she goes, <laughs> a week before Thanksgiving. And so she's been listening to it for some time. And I, I don't, you know, there's some annoying songs in Christmas music. You just can't make up words so they fit in a song. You know what I mean? But there's annoying songs. I'm not kidding you. My wife and I heard a song about texting me Merry Christmas. And it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It said a a call is too old school. Uh, A Skype just won't do. A, a, A tweet won't get it done. I want a text from you. In the song, they were like, I hope you send the right emoji, which is a smiley face. It's like, what? What happened to greeting cards, man? What happened about putting money in the greeting cards? Have you, have you, have you transferred any cash by text message lately? That's a whole song, stupid. But I don't really like Christmas music. But I'll tell you one thing that really, really makes me mad about Christmas music is when I hear a pop artist sing a song like, Oh, Holy Night, or Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, talking about Jesus laying in the manger, and oh, what a beautiful night that was. When over on another station, they're singing about bars, breakups, and a bunch of other stuff I don't want nothing to do with. It's like they snuggle up to the idea of Christ this time of year, isn't it? I was looking at some of the record sales for albums this time of year. Christmas albums sell better than anything. It's like if you can't sing, make a Christmas album because people are generous and will buy it. But it is absurd. It's like when somebody wants to resurrect their career, they just go produce a Christmas album so people will buy it. Those people don't know nothing about Christ. They know nothing about the impact he can have in a man and a woman's life. They know nothing about the Savior they sing. It's just a shame. Can I encourage you, though, this season, when this world's trying to snuggle up to the idea of Christ, you make sure you have a firm foundation on what it meant when he was laying in that manger. And it wasn't just a silent night that was beautiful. The the night could have been ugly as all get-out. It was the baby that was beautiful. It wasn't just the town of Bethlehem, because the town of Bethlehem had, had had very little to do with everything. That baby's what it was all about. And as they sing their songs they know nothing about, make sure we in our hearts know that Christ was the reason for all those songs. And every time we sing one of them, may we be very aware and cognizant of what we're saying. I just feel like people in this world are forging a lie, like, oh yeah, Christ, okay, when 11 other months out of the year, they hate him. And they don't want us to talk about him, but they can sing it just to get it on a Christmas album. It's absurd. And not only that, and I'm getting angry now. See, that's not good. You're not supposed to preach in the flesh, but I do it pretty often. That's not a good thing. Uh, Thirdly, I want to point this out to you. And we're almost done. I want to show you a friendly enslavement. I'm afraid this is where a lot of us fall. Look in verse number 8. The wise men came with the most pure motives and intentions, but in verse 8, Herod almost hires them. The Bible says, And he, that's Herod, sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, the wise men don't really know it at this time, for God tells them later. But they're making a deal with the devil right now. And they're saying, oh, yes, okay, Herod, we'll bring you word again. And later God has to tell them, guys, don't go tell Herod about that. He doesn't want to worship Christ. And, and, And it's just so strange to me how quickly these men, with the best of intentions, they're the ones trying to come and bring worship. They're the ones bringing the gifts if you will if you'll allow me the liberty they are the protectors of christmas and yet for just a moment it's almost like they begin working for the man who's trying to destroy it it's a friendly enslavement you see they don't even they're not even aware of it at this time of christmas we are showered with gifts aren't we not we are showered with with just it's unbelievable how blessed we are in this nation i mean People struggling to eat. And we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for our children. And, and, and we don't even need any of it. That's the thing. We sit down to make Christmas lists and we have to think. What, what a sad thing. But, uh, uh, you know, every commercial screams, this is what you need. Every car commercial comes on. Like, I'm going to go out and buy a car for Christmas. I'm going to go in debt for seven years. Somebody got hit back there. <laughs> like, I'm going to buy a car for seven years because I'm in a giving mood. But, but every commercial, every oh, it's the deal of the year, special discount. And if we're not careful, we as the protectors of Christmas can fall enslaved to what this world does. Almost unawares, we began to work for them instead of work for God. You see, we are supposed to bring worship. We're supposed to bring our best. We're supposed to bring all. We're supposed to tell our children. We're supposed to teach them. We are the ones. We're the protectors of Christmas. And yet, sometimes do we not get a little more involved in the worldly things of Christmas than we do the spiritual things? I'm just afraid that every once in a while we just need a reminder that tells us Christ was the reason. And really all the other stuff's tradition. Just just plain old useless tradition. And I was able to eat some good food today. I was able to have a good time last night, eat some good food. I, that's all fun and good, but if Christ had not been born, we would have no reason to be merry. There would be no Merry Christmas. There would be no Merry Living without Christ in that manger. And I just believe we need to remember what the reason for it was. Now, I'm not a very intelligent person, so I find very simple things interesting. I need help understanding a lot of things. So I find when people keep things simple, it just makes it easier on me and it's more impactful for me. Years ago, I was shown this, uh, this I, I don't know what to call it, I was shown this thing and, and it really made an impact on me. Because the whole, uh, whole time, you're wondering what's going on, and, and, and there's no real point to it. And at the very end, it's like they hit you with this tremendous point. It's uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Y'all ever seen that movie? It's a great movie. If you're not aware or familiar with the story or the plot, basically what happens is Charlie Brown's trying to remember what Christmas is all about. He's trying to find the real purpose and the meaning for Christmas, And like Charlie Brown, being smart, he goes to all of his friends who are his same age to find the answer. That's what my teenagers do too often. They go to their friends to ask for help. (laughs) Oh, bad idea. But uh, uh, Charlie Brown goes to all his friends and says, what do you think it's about? I believe Charlie Brown almost becomes uh, hurt and depressed even by the answers he's getting and the reactions that he's getting. See, everybody seemed to be more involved with the getting of presents and the production of the play, and nobody seemed to be have any genuine motives for what Christmas was really all about. But at the very end of that movie, it has one of the most impactful parts that I've ever seen in any movie, including the Disney ones. It's when a man, a little boy, one of Charlie Brown's friends, a very quiet friend, but Lionel steps up, and, and, and he, he, he goes on to... Tell Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about. JT, do you have that for me, bud? We're going to watch that tonight because they say it better than I could ever say it. Maybe we got to plug in the headphone jack there, JT, or turn it off mute. I don't know. It's, I hope this works. It's not playing. T- we don't have the volume. <laughs> <laughs> is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Lord to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. What happens directly after that is, Lionel walks up to Charlie Brown. And although Charlie Brown has been depressed for almost the entire movie so far, he looks right at Charlie Brown and he goes, Charlie Brown, that's the meaning of Christmas. From that point on in the movie, basically what takes place is Charlie Brown leaves. He's been depressed. He's been distraught. He goes outside and he begins to look at the stars. And you can see him grin. You can see happiness take place in his life. You want a happy Christmas? You focus on what Luke chapter 2 says. You want a happy Christmas? You study what Matthew chapter 2 says. You see, I could have read it for you, but for some reason, cartoons are more powerful. All it is is God gave us his son. There's never been a better gift ever given. It doesn't matter what you've asked for, what you think would be the perfect gift. There's never been a better one than what God gave us in his son. If you want a happy Christmas, you don't focus on all the pleasantries, all the uh, uh, beautiful uh, lights or all the presents or all the uh, food. You don't focus on that. You don't even focus on the vacation or the, the family. You don't focus on that. You focus on the fact that one day God came for us. I tell you what, if you focus on that, you'll have a very merry Christmas.